Welcome to the Well-Rounded Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Tony Davis, coming to you from the beautiful beaches in Jacksonville, Florida. And welcome, welcome, welcome to 2023. I certainly hope you are fired up about the new year. With new year comes new opportunities. I hope you listened to my last podcast about why resolutions suck and what we've replaced them with. New Year's more or less action plans. And I hope you all are sitting out there with some action plans to increase your wellness, to improve your self-leadership, be it spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, because all of those things are intertwined and connected. And if you're deficient in one of those areas, it can pull you down. And you won't be showing up every day the best version of yourself But again, I thank you for listening. We have an outstanding podcast episode today, kicking off the new year, the first one of the new year. Um, You're going to enjoy this conversation with Mike Bowling. Now, if you're a Gen X like myself, you remember the toy that was all the rage during our childhood, and that was Pound Puppies. Well, Mike is the creator and the inventor of Pound Puppies. He has an outstanding story. He is a very inspiring leader. He he worked for 18 years on the Ford Motor Company assembly line. And throughout that time, he wanted to get away. He wanted to move on. He had aspirations, dreams, visions, imaginations. So all of that spawned the opportunity for the pound puppies to to become a reality over the course of that time he had plenty of other toys that he invented that he had 50 no's over the course of his time and he still invents toys to this day and i love the common theme with all of his toys is that they don't have batteries that he wants the batteries within his toys to be the children's imagination. And I thought that was so cool, such a cool line. Uh, But he is very inspiring, very motivating. He's had different ideas come up throughout, you know, the course of of, uh, the Pound Puppy success that he has been able to jump on and and expand on. So it's going to be very emotional, very uh, motivating for you, aspiring, inspiring. Uh, I thank you for listening. We do have a sponsor now for the podcast. Very excited about that. It's Arrowhead Leadership Incorporated. Yes, it's a leadership development company headquartered right here in the Jacksonville area. It's a Crescom International licensee. So if you're out there and you own a business or you're in management for a company, uh, and uh, quite frankly, you know your company could, could use some leadership development, I encourage you to reach out to me, Tony at wellroundedleaders.com. I can get you in touch with the Crestcom representative. But Crestcom is a global global franchise network that has been developing leaders for over 30 years. And over that time, they've developed leaders for 25,000 plus global company clients. We're in 60 different countries and we'd love to help you become the best leader that you can be. Uh, You can go to Crestcom.com 
uh, or you can reach out to me and I can put you in touch with a Crestcom representative in your market. But if you own a company or you are in management for a company and you are just hungry for leadership development, let's reach out to Crestcom. Um, they are they do things differently. They are a development company, do things differently, and uh, their results are unmatched. <clears throat> but I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for supporting the show. And remember, remember that quote from Bo Schembechler, legendary head football coach for the University of Michigan every day. You get better or every day you get worse. You never stay the same. And my hope for you listening today is that you take away something from today's leadership conversation with Mike Bowling that makes you better and helps you grow in your leadership. We should all be striving to get better either physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally every single day. And that's the beginning of self-leadership. And that's what it means to be a well-rounded leader. So here we go. You're going to love this episode. Well, welcome to the Well-Rounded Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Davis. With me today is Mike Bowling. Mike, you have a fascinating story, and I cannot wait to get into to, to the, the, the inventor of the world-famous toys, Pound Puppies. Uh, but, but it goes beyond that. Um, starting off the podcast, let's just jump into your story. I, I'm, I'm excited to learn a lot more about you, and I know our listeners are too. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you're looking at somebody, uh, looking, listening to somebody <laughs> who is really living uh, the American dream. Uh, I had worked in a factory, mm-hmm. Ford Motor Company, for 18 years. During that 18 years, I was always trying to think of ways to get out of the factory and do something else that I would love. And I had a uh, probably a thousand ideas over the 18 years. But uh, Mr. Negativity always crept in and said, well, you can't do this. You don't have the money. You don't know this. All the things that happen to most people. But when I got the idea for Pound Puppies, I remember the day. It was December the 27th, two days after Christmas in 1983. And I was driving in my car. And uh, my daughter had gotten a soft sculpture doll for Christmas from a craft store. It wasn't like a store-bought doll, and she really loved it and and felt like it was her baby. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if there's two things on this earth that people love passionately, it's their kids and their pets. And when I was growing up, you went to the pound to get a pet. And so I thought, oh, you know, pound. And I thought pound dogs. And I said, no, no, you know, everybody loves a puppy. So I thought of pound puppies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just... I wouldn't let go of it from that point forward. I was just driven. I went down to meet with an attorney first, uh, intellectual property attorney, which was the best thing I ever did. And I told him, I got this great idea. I'm going to make these stuffed animals. They're going to be stuffed dogs. They're going to be called pound puppies. We're going to put them in a box like they're from the pound and everything. And he listened to me explain everything to him. And he looked across the table at me. And he says, you can't own an idea. And I went, what? He says, you can own copyrights, trademarks, designs, patents, all these things, according to the laws in the United States. And once you own it, Mm -hmm. then somebody has, if they want to use it, they have to pay you to use it. So it sent me immediately off and I working on getting the trademark registered. And the way it was done back then is different from nowadays. And uh, 
getting the copyright, getting the prototype made out of my mind into an actual physical sample. And, uh, and that was the, the launch of it. And uh, in May of 1984, uh, I got my first license deal. So I went from December to May. Within five months, I had my first license deal uh, with uh, Irwin Toys in Canada. But the, I got to back up just a little bit for, on that for you. Mm-hmm. In the middle of developing the line, selling some to some of my friends at work and getting the word out there about them and this toy that I'd invented. And I was a nobody in the toy industry. And I knew nothing about the toy industry. And I knew no one in the toy industry. Mm-hmm. And through talking to people, somebody said, well, you need to talk to Bob Steiner. He's a consultant in the toy industry, his family started Kenner Toy Company, and he was there for years, and then it was sold, and now he's in Washington, D.C. on the Federal uh, Trade Commission. So they gave me his number. I called him. I went up. I met with him, showed him the toy, and he said, love it. I think it's a great idea, and uh, he says, I'm $100 an hour plus expenses, and I was making 10 bucks an hour back then. <laughs> so I told him, I said, well, Bob, I'll pay you, I promise. <laughs> when we get down the road, but I can't pay you now. So, so you're still working at Ford throughout this whole process, right? I, I quit Ford. Ford gave me, called me in and they says, you know, I've been just taking a lot of time off work. And finally Ford called me into the office and they said, Mike, we love you. You're a phenomenal employee. You really, you know, been great here, but you got to choose your, your dogs or Ford. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to have to take the, the puppies. So when I quit Ford, I had no income, no medical benefits. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so I said, it's now or never for me. And I went out and uh, licensed it, like I said, in Canada. Mm-hmm. And we ended up being the number one new toy in Canada. I went through 14 rejections in the United States and but I have one classic one I always love to share. Uh, Bob Steiner uh, knew this gentleman who was president of Ideal. I'm not going to name any names, but he knew this guy who was president of Ideal at the time. And he says, Mike, I'm going to get you get us an appointment for you to show it to him in New York City at their headquarters for Ideal. And uh, he said, this is going to be good because he said, I gave the guy, you know, his first job in the toy industry and he shot up like a rocket now he's president of ideal and i said okay great so he gets the appointment set up for us go to new york city my first time there Mm -hmm. i'm in this office conference room looking out over the city of new york and i think well i've really arrived you know and i uh, made my present the gentleman walks into the room sets down i make my presentation he looks at me and he says that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. It looks like it's squatting to pee. And he got up and walked out. And and I turned to Bob and I said, Bob, I'm really glad you knew this guy. Really (laughs) helped us a lot in the process. But, uh, you know, I just kept going on and on and on. And and finally, somebody said, oh, you should show it to Tonka. Tonka is trying to expand their company and become a multi-product line rather than just trucks. Mm -hmm. And they had just launched the line called GoBots back then. That was actually the first transformable character. 
uh, action figure ever. Mm. And they were doing quite well with it. And, uh, uh, and then they took pound puppies and we shot up to number one in the U S uh, and, and then it was just up from there. And Bob having been in the industry for all those years, we got on an airplane, we started flying all over the world. He knew companies in every one of the countries. And uh, I ended up licensing pound puppies in 28 countries, but a lot of them had several countries within their territory. So we were sold in 52 countries around the world. Wow. And uh, yeah, and hit uh, uh, number one. I sent a handmade sample in a letter to Hanna-Barbera mm-hmm. before I had this was back in January of 84. And I said, I've invented this toy. I think it would make a great cartoon show. If you're interested, call me. And here's my number. And it was handwritten on a letter with a pound puppy in the box just sent to Hanna-Barbera. And I sent two for Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera. One week later, while I'm still working at Ford, I get a call from Joe Terratero. He was executive vice president of Hanna-Barbera. And he says, Joe Barbera loves your concept. He'd like you to come out to Hollywood and meet with him. I mean, I almost fainted. Oh, I'm, on a, I'm on a pink princess phone at home. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting this call from this guy, executive VP of Hanna-Barbera. And the reason I sent the letter to him is that's the only person I knew that did uh, animation I grew up with that I loved. And I went out to Hollywood. I met with him. He said he loved it. And I says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. As soon as I get a license deal with a toy company, I'll put the three of us together and we'll work out the details on a cartoon show. And that's how I ended up on ABC for two years. So, so the Hanna-Barbera, you sent that after you had to license with Canada? No, before. Oh, okay. So, oh, January even before. Oh, wow. There no, okay. There was no success. There was no toy companies. There was nothing. But he... He loved the concept. Gotcha. And oh, what he said to me when I'm glad you brought that up. When I walked in there, he says he was holding the one I'd sent to him. He said, "Do you know why I love this?" The minute I saw it, I don't have to explain to a child what it is, mm-hmm. what it's about. The storylines are unnatural, and it translates all over the world, even where they don't have pounds. Kids love to rescue a dog, take it home, and then he said, "It's just, it's perfect." And that was the reason he. He loved it and wanted to do uh, do the show on it. And then after, uh, I didn't get Tonka until November of that year. Signed up for a license deal. Mm-hmm. And they launched in 1985. So that was November of 84 when we finally got somebody to say yes. Oh, and I've got a funny story I like to tell with Tonka, yeah. too, as we going along with it. So we made the presentation to Tonka and... They said they were interested in what were the terms, and Bob gave them the terms. And I'm sitting there shocked, you know, the terms he's asking for, $100,000 advance and a 7% royalty and all this, because he knows the industry. Mm-hmm. And um, so they said they would have to meet and talk about it corporate-wise, and then they'd give me a call. So I got a call that night at home uh, another time. He's ended up being a real dear, dear friend of mine, but he called me up and he says, you know, Mike, we had our meeting today. And when we analyzed it, you're really not offering us that much. You're offering us a plush dog. There have been plush dogs before. There'll be plush dogs in the future. 
you've got it in a box like it's from the pound. Well, we design boxes every day for our toys that are themed towards whatever the toy is. And he says, you've got a trademark. And we do trademarks every day of the week, too. And Tony, I don't know what, where this came from. It had to be from God. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I said to uh, uh, the other guy on the line, I said, let me ask you a question. What's the cheapest part of an airplane? There was silence on the other end of the phone. He says, I don't understand your question. I said, what is the cheapest part on an airplane? He said, I don't, I don't get it. I said, the wings are. The wings are just some struts with some metal over them sticking out. But I said, it sure won't fly without them, will it? And I said, that's what I'm giving you. When you put all the pieces together, then you've got a jet. Mm. And I said, so no, I'm not going to back off on, on what we're asking for. And it scared me to death to tell him no, that I wasn't going to because I didn't have a deal mm-hmm. in the process. And he laughed and he says, oh, we're going to do it. He said, I drew the short straw to call you up and try to beat you up and get the six turns down. <laughs> so nice. We ended up being good friends. And hey, Tonka was happy. It, it shot them up to having the number one toy in the world. Mm. And uh, so it worked out for everybody in there. Did that help springboard the Tonka into other more diverse toys? Because I remember Tonka and Tonka trucks and then the GoBots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they got off in uh, uh, micro machines. Okay, was huge, you know, and they did they did a lot of different a lot of different uh, toys after that, and uh, and uh, so it did real well, and uh, uh, they were great partners. But I licensed this thing. Nowadays, the companies in the U.S. want worldwide rights because mm-hmm. they have distribution channels throughout outside of the U.S. Uh, but I licensed it in 28 separate license agreements in 28 separate countries around the world. And you talk about a lot of work, chasing all the details and all the different licensees, all the prototypes that they have to send me all product for my approval before they can sell it. So uh, it was was, uh, four years of just, I think I got like, two or three million miles uh, oh, I bet. on Delta within four years' time, traveling mm. all over the world. So I pinch myself <clears throat> still every day, Tony, and I'm very, very appreciative that I live in a country where factory worker, I'm not a college graduate, mm-hmm. can go out and, with a dream and work hard, and if you're willing to make the sacrifices, it'll happen. And that's that's, you know... I do a lot of talking now to groups. They invite me in to talk to them. And, you know, I, I really want to motivate them to uh, go out and pursue their dreams. So when I first started talking to groups, it would always be they just wanted to hear about pound puppies. What, you know, what, and I would tell them the story just like I was telling you. And there's a hundred other stories with it too from the success standpoint. But then I changed it, and I added a component to it, and the component I added to it was called The Greatest Ideas on Earth Will Never Be Invented. And the first time I gave that talk, there was a room probably, I don't know what it was, 100 people. Mm -hmm. It's a special organization I was talking to. And I says, I want to ask you a question. How many of you in this room have ever had a great idea? And by a great idea, I don't mean, you know, I said, it can be just something saying, oh, I can make this coffee cup better to where it can keep coffee 
hotter, like our friends did for us. I can do uh, this, that. I said, how many of you have ever had a great idea? Every single hand goes up in the room. Then I said, how many of you have created it? Every hand went down. Mm. And I said, that's what I did, you know, for 18 years at Ford. Every time I'd get an idea, the, the nays would start in my mind. I can't do that. I don't want to do this. I got this job. I got security. I got two kids. And I said, you always find a million reasons why you can't do it. Mm. And, and the difference is, you know, you really have to make up your mind and, and do it in the process. What was funny after I gave that first talk, this lady walked up to me after the talk was over and she said, you can't say that. I said, can't say what? That the greatest idea on earth will never be invented. You don't know if it's the greatest idea. I said, you know, you're right. We never will know, will we? Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's the point mm-hmm. that I was trying to so, make out of it. So you said early on you were an assembly line worker, but you wanted to get off the assembly line. And then 18 years. So, so what was it about finally, what was it about pound puppies? But cause I'm assuming, I'm assuming all of the time you had, you, you know, you kept going through different ideas, different ideas, but the yeah. negativity kept creeping in that would, that would kind of just, ah, it can't be done. It can't be done. So, so why, why then, and what was it that just, that just, you pro- propelled you forward? You know, there were two components in my life that I believe were huge contributors to why I did it. Number one, I had gone through four years of training and I had my black belt in karate. I'd just gotten it. And karate, what a lot of people don't understand, you know, they see someone breaking bricks and they, you know, these kind of people think they're shows they're putting on and, and stuff in the process. No, they're not. It's to train your mind that you have the ability to do it. Tell me if I could convince you right now that you could break three concrete block, patio blocks, mm-hmm. you could do it. And I remember when I was doing my black belt test and I was required to break a large number of the one-inch patio blocks, a friend of mine who'd gone through all the training on me, he goes, because we'd never done that till that night. We'd broken little stuff. We'd never done it till that night. And he looked at me and he says, Mike, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I said, no, you're not, unless you say you're going to. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do it. And he didn't get his black belt because he had that negativity in his mind. So karate for me was mind altering. But I'm not saying that everybody has to go out and get a black belt to succeed in, in success. You're asking me what were the mental changes that mm-hmm. happened to me that made me say, yes, I'm going to do this. The second thing was, and this will be a pitch for the guy that wrote the book, there's a book called The Magic of Thinking Big. Mm. And somebody had given me that book. And I had read the book. And it's the magic of thinking big. And in the book, it tells you it's all about here. It's in your mind. And once you convince your mind you can do it, then you can do it. That's the magic of thinking big versus thinking little. So I had read that book. I had uh, you know, gotten the black belt. And I remember the moment I got the idea for Pound Puppies, as I told you, 
on December 27th, I remember I was driving by Kmart store in Middletown, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I slammed my fist on the steering wheel. And I said, that's it. This is it. This is, this is your, this is, this is your item. You've mm-hmm. got it. Now don't let go of it. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't easy, you know, it, in no way, shape, form was it easy. Uh, you know, I got way in debt. I owed to uh, Bob and the lawyers and everybody else. And I was, I was $85,000 in debt. That's, in a, that's a that lot back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot back then when I was uh, only, uh, had only been making $10 an hour at Ford and I'd already quit. So what happens? Bob got a $100,000 advance. I get the check. The next morning, I write out $85,000 in checks to everybody that I owed. And I said, see, I told you I'd pay you. And, uh, and then I had $15,000 left to live on while, and doing business while we're going out and, and, and doing more. Because it takes, uh, you know, so you do the license agreement to give you the $100,000. Then they got to go to manufacturing. They got to get it sold. They mm-hmm. got to get it shipped over here. They got back then. It was uh, Korea was where all plush was being made in 84. And so you've got lag time mm. months before it gets in the marketplace. Then it has to sell. And how you get your royalties is once every three months at the end of a quarter, whatever has sold. And you get your royalty based on the wholesale price, not the retail price, mm. because the toy companies are selling it at wholesale to the retailers. So you only get your share of your money out of the, you know what's done with that. But it was uh, it was a great experience, and I went, uh, you know, twelve months later, I got my first from the point I licensed Tonka, I got my first million dollar royalty check. So, so that ramp up period was 12 months. And I can, I can see that, you know, because back then toys were advertised on TV. That's it. There was no social media. I mean, everything as a kid, this is about the time when, well, I was my teenage years, but, but yeah, I remember, you know, Saturday morning cartoons was huge. And, and as a, as a kid, you know, you'd watch the Saturday morning cartoons. That was a big deal. And, and all the, you know, all the commercials, yeah. would, you just see every new commercial, every new, and the JCP catalog, JCPenney catalogs was huge. You know, when you were a kid, yeah, there's no, right. there's no Twitter, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, there's no Instagram. Yes. That, it was, so I could see that, how that ramp up period of time. Now that ramp up period of time, shoot, that would probably be cut in uh, an eighth. Oh, it, yeah. And, and the other thing, too, the biggest people tell me, well, what's different about the toy industry today than, than 1984, 1985? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the advertising marketing, it was several years ago that I was at a Hasbro summit. Toy inventor, they invite toy inventors that have licensed toys and stuff to them to a summit in February at the Toy Fair. And Hasbro got up there and they said, right now, when, whatever year it was, they said, we're at 90-10. We're 90% TV commercials, mm-hmm. 10% social media and all that when it was getting started, however far back it was. And they said, we plan to be the reverse of that. We're working towards the reverse of that. 10% on TV, 90% social media. And social media has, has been a huge plus for promoting toys and your idea idea on the process uh, because you can reach the masses uh, 
my toy splashlings the mermaid mm -hmm. there's a girl who has a website called cookie swirl c and it's for kids and she's not allowed to be paid by the toy company it's not a commercial she can't be paid doing a commercial for the kids on this that come to her site uh, but the toy company sent her splashlings mm -hmm. she played with it you never see anything but her hands and her uh, talking with the thing and uh, and within 30 days we had 5 million hits off of her site but you got to think about that mm. it's 5 million of the targeted group you're mm. trying to reach who are sharing with their friends and doing this and doing that in the process whereas when you put it on TV you're hoping what percentage you're going to get that's going to watch it that it's even towards them you know they they don't need to see, a girl doesn't need to see gi joe commercials true so the social media has been a just a huge huge plus well and with and with tv especially with kids <laughs> they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna see it the first time and retain it that that yeah that's just a process they have to see that at yeah. least you know the advertisers tv market says three times before somebody before your message gets heard but with kids and the attention span as low as it is and the limited amount of time, you know, that they're probably in, in dedicated, that process could be, you know, maybe be at least five or six times before it really resonates with a kid. Whereas yeah. with Instagram, they save it. They, 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 you know, they, they'll comment on it. You know, it's, it's almost instantaneous and they take it and retain it a lot better just seeing it one time. <clears throat> yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's been a yeah, huge plus mm. and uh, cookie swirl C I, I read an article where she's worth like $25 million now oh my gosh. <laughs> young girl that started this. They're called unboxers. That's the term in the industry unboxers. Okay. And what they do is they take the toy, they unbox it. You know, she had a little pool, little, little tiny play pool and she played with them. You know, she was just playing with them. You know, Oh yeah, let's go swimming in here and mermaids and all this. And so she's just, playing with the toys and uh and she's done quite well doing that how how, how, she makes her how old is she is there's huh how old is she she's, uh, in her late 20s i think oh, okay right now it's 50 okay. years ago i read the article on her gotcha. but, uh, uh, but at any rate it's 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 been a very big and very oh. successful uh, routine uh the, i mean i'm sorry marketing method that uh, mm. is used now in the toy industry. That's incredible. So, so pound puppies, your, your toy inventing didn't end there. What, what you've mentioned another one. What else, what have you done? Uh, How many different toys have I, you been I'd inventing? probably licensed, but you know, some I've licensed, like say I licensed one in Canada, but it didn't, nobody else took it anywhere else. And, mm -hmm. and I've licensed, uh, I think I counted like 18 other toys since then. Okay. Uh, None of them were as big as they were successful in their own right, but none of them were as big as pound puppies. I tell I tell people this way. Mm -hmm. It's like when you have a song in your band mm -hmm. and say it's Sweet Home Alabama and you hear it forever and you love it mm -hmm. and it's classic and it just goes on and on and on. But you don't remember all the other songs that they sang or their albums or stuff like that. It's and it's kind of that way with pound puppies. A lot of times people are shocked when I say, yeah, I, I invented, you know, stream pets, lost and founds, uh, 
and you know they just start rattling off the, the different ones two different mermaid lines and uh, uh, and stuff so it's 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 been good and I enjoyed I actually have licensed two toys for this year two new toys that are oh, coming wow. out and so I'm, I'm still still cranking away on uh, on toy ideas but one other thing that might be interesting I think for your this is now my third phase of my talks mm-hmm. with groups and I haven't done this yet you're hearing it for the first time great this is going to be my third phase third phase so I had pound puppies huge success I was you know very happy then I started talking to people really trying to motivate them to go out and pursue their dreams that's the greatest ideals will never be invented now the third part of mine is called to be continued and to be continued is about this. When I turned 70 years old, uh, there was only one regret that I had in all my years in the toy industry. And that was I had a chance to make a live action uh, Pound Puppies movie. A producer from Hollywood came to me, the top one in Hollywood. And he says, I want to make a Pound Puppies movie live action and really get to the heart of it. And he said, I've already got the green flag from Fox Entertainment. And I thought that was great. But then I got sick. And I ended up with a battle with cancer. And so I, when that came out, I said, no, I can't. You know, it's two years of hard work to put a movie out. I said, nah. And then you start saying to yourself, oh, well, life's short. And what are you going to do and all this stuff? And so anyways. I regretted that. I would have loved it. it. was something I always wanted to do. So when I turned 70, I said, you know what? You're not dead yet. You've still got your idea for your movie concept. And so uh, through some business associates with contacts with contacts, I ended up talking to producers and writers and stuff out in Hollywood. And uh, I was having a little bit of difficulty. I, I gave them an elevator pitch for the storyline. Mm-hmm. And... I was having a little bit of difficulty. The writer wanted to change so many things. And I said, no, 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 that's not what I'm, I'm thinking. That's, that's not the way the movie would go. And right then COVID hit and shut Hollywood down. Mm. And I said, okay, I put everything on pause. And I says, I'm going to write a synopsis, a strong synopsis of what my story is about so that when I go back in to back to Hollywood, I'll have a synopsis that lays out the story start to finish. I'm not a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, English was my worst subject in high school, putting that on top of not being a writer. But believe it or not, 169 pages later, I had my synopsis done. Mm. And I thought, well, you know what? Uh, and there's, there's one key component I'm going to tie in and sh- show for your listeners. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a writer, but 169 pages later, I had the story done. I thought, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a book. And if the book's successful, movies are easy off of it. And I've never done it before, so it was exciting to be doing it. Mm-hmm. But I went out and I hired an organization called Kevin Anderson Associates. They're the top one in the United States. They help people like me that uh, have ideas for books and they have you know, uh, 
a bunch of great, phenomenal ghostwriters. And, uh, and I signed up and, and paid the fees. And uh, I interviewed about 10 ghostwriters. I found one I liked. And, and we have worked together. The book literally was just, I've been on it almost three years, mm-hmm. was just last edited last week. Now it's going out to agents and then hopefully to a publisher in the, in the process. So I just finished that. Nice. Congrats. Called Magic in the Mountains. And uh, of course, it's a story about a little girl and a dog and how they end up rescuing each other. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I still seem to be hanging with uh, the dogs and stuff. Then I got an idea. I thought, well, you know, when I was working on the movie, I said, well, you know, I'm going to do a... Um, I'm going to write a country song. I love country music. I'm going to write a country song, something I've never done before. And, uh, and I said, and I'm going to have it themed on what the movie would be about, the story, a nice country song on that. Well, through meeting with people and recommending people and all of this, I was put in touch with a guy that's, that was really tied into the music world and the songwriters world. He had a lot of friends in that part of the industry in tennis, uh, Nashville. And so I called him, talked to him, and he says, uh, I've got two guys I can recommend to you. The one guy is number one. And he said, he's the best of the best. The second guy's not as good as him, but he's also great as a writer. And I said, well, I want the number one guy. And he said, well, he's real famous and Mm -hmm. he's got a lot going on and he's really hard to tie down. And uh, uh, his name's James Slater. And he's a phenomenal writer. I think he's got like four or five with Kenny Chesney right now. He's written 12 for Tim McGraw. He's nominated for two different Grammys. He's Carrie Underway. Everybody has sang his songs and he's hugely successful. So I call him up. He doesn't know me from Adam. And how many times do you think in his career he's heard, I want to write a song? (laughs) You know, people come up, I got a great idea for a song, you know, this da da da. He's probably heard that a million times. Every, t- every time he goes to a bar. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, it took me almost a year to coax him to work with me. Mm-hmm. And I brought him down here and had him perform for some of my friends. And, and he came up and I had put my lawyer trying to work out a deal when he said, okay, we'll do it. And this is what it's going to be. And, and the lawyers, they're talking to his publishers and his publishers are going, this guy's a nobody, you know, and, and my lawyer's making demands, and I keep telling my lawyer, they don't want me. They don't need me. You know, don't, don't. And uh, so when James came down here and performed, we at, during that year's time, we became very close friends. And he, after he performed here at the party I had, he says, I got it, Mike. He says, we don't need lawyers. He said, it's your song. We're going to write it together. And he says, you'll be co-writer on it, so you have copyrights to it. So that's that's how you maintain your ownership of it in the process i said great so we set out to write the song and uh in the middle of it uh i was talking to him one day about dogs Mm -hmm. and uh, i said you know all you got to do is love on a dog that's all they want that's all they need and he goes "Ah, that's a great great line we're going to make a second song too so we ended up doing two songs and uh, we're now shopping them we had demos you know we, i went up there to recording studio and got to see the demos made and everything for the two songs who rescued who and 
all you got to do is love on a dog. And, uh, and now they're out there being shopped to see if we can find a country star that would like to sing them, which is the way the system works. Nice. But the key I wanted to show you and for your listeners, mm-hmm. pound puppies. Mm-hmm. My success was because I got with a top consultant within the industry who knew everybody in the industry, Bob Steiner. When I wrote the book, I ended up getting the top person in uh, group consulting group in the U.S. to help me with getting the book turned into a real book. Mm-hmm. And then third, when I wanted to write a country song, I found a top guy in the music industry. And, and people say, oh, yeah, well, you were lucky you did it. No, I wasn't. If I hadn't started it, and if I hadn't pursued it, if I'd have said, oh, I don't know anything about country music, I don't know anybody in the industry, I don't da-da-da-da-da, but I never gave up. I just kept pushing. And, uh, and, and it's the same way with when I wrote the book. You know what they told me at Kevin Anderson Associates? They said, Mike, you're totally different than people that approach us. Mm-hmm. People approach us and say, we've got a great idea for a book. I need a ghostwriter. And, but you brought us 169 page. And they said the way it works is uh, when somebody says, I got an idea for a book, they interview you uh, once a month with the ghostwriter. And then he writes, he records everything you say, and then he writes it and then sends it to you and you get approvals and back and forth. But he said, uh, you know, you've got it all, the story's all there. And, uh, and so my ghostwriter, broke it down into like 36 paragraphs for what would be chapter one, two, three, four based. So the story in the book is 100% mine. Mm. My ghostwriter, who knows the difference between first person, second person, and the proper way to write it, who has a degree in creative writing from Harvard, mm. he knows how to put it all together and bring my characters to life in a way that I didn't and, mm-hmm. and uh, stuff. So it's, it's been a great partnership with him and doing it. But, uh, and then you look what happened with, you know, James Slater. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got two great songs right now and we're actually working on a third one. And that's the, you know, and now I'm 73 mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's the part in life you, you, you can chase after your dreams. I don't care what age you are you know, in getting things done. You just have to make up your mind you're going to do it. You have to go out there and do it. Yeah, that's phenomenal. All, all you need now is a podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just, yeah. But, 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 but I see where you're going with this, you know, align yourself with, with some of the best, you know, the, the people that can help you make your dreams a reality. And that, that makes, makes, you know, that negativity, it, it, it helps propel you forward. It, it helps, it helps you connect uh, and, and take your, your dreams from, you know, uh, con- concept to, to, to reality. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, the point I said just a minute ago, mm-hmm. uh, people say you were lucky, you know, that Tonka took it. And I'm sorry, I don't believe in luck that way. Mm-hmm. Because had I not taken the time to slam my fist on the steering wheel and go out 
meet with a lawyer, which I would recommend anybody to do. It's it's like going to a doctor. It doesn't cost that much to get advice at the start on what you need to do and where you need to go and all these different types of things. And, uh, and, and then just take the steps step by step. Had I not taken all those steps, I would have never been sitting in the conference room with Tonka. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, had I not written the 169 page synopsis, I wouldn't have finished my book just recently. And uh, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I, oh, I so respect, respect writers now. And then when they talk about, I also used to wonder when they'd say that novel, he worked on it for eight years, 10 years. And it's because you're constantly going back thinking, oh, this would be good. What if I put this in? And what if I did this? And you just finally have to put pencils down and, mm. and, and go with it, which is, uh, which is what we did. And then if I had not pursued James, I went up to Nashville, met with him, sat, had coffee with him, talked to him what I wanted to do, and and you know, and I got the call back, and he said, "Well, I've talked to my publisher, and they think it would be better better if we wait until the movie's made." And uh, when I first talked to him, he said to me, "He says, you know, Mike, irregardless of the movie, when I first talked to him, he said it's got to be great." He said, "Think like Disney," he said. Disney has songs that will live on forever if the movies hasn't been seen in 10 years. They're just great. So you got to make sure they're great. So when he called me up and told me, he says, uh, you know, we've talked and it's better if you wait until the movie's out. I said, James, you told me that it has to be great and has to stand on its own right. I may never have the movie, but I still want to do the song. And, and so that's how we ended up continuing on and finally, finally getting it uh, getting it done in the, in the process. Mm, I like it. I like it. You, you, you know, you're looking for that movie. You already got, you already got the script, so to speak. You got the screenplay yeah. and, and then you get the soundtrack going. I mean, it's, yeah. you, you, this is going to be teed up for the, for the right production company. Yeah. In the yeah. Process. I can see, I can see it. I can see it. Uh, well, so life. Go ahead. No, I just was going to say life's exciting every day mm-hmm. for me when I get up. And uh, every day is not a perfect day, but it's exciting because I have these, I still have goals and dreams. And uh, I call it feeding the tiger. The tiger is the part in you that needs fed, that wants, you know, to do these things. And, uh, and, and so it's important for people to always pursue their dreams, whatever their dream would be. I like in that. The process. I like that. Feed your tiger. That's, that's so uh, visual. I mean, it makes sense. You know, everybody's got a tiger inside, and some people let the tiger starve because of the mindset. Yeah. And the mind is yeah. so powerful. I'm an I'm a absolutely firm believer in that, uh, you know, positive minds. You know, in fact, I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. She's been going through cancer as well, and, and now she's, you know, she's made some great strides. Uh, but she's reading a book, and I can't remember. You are the placebo, or something. I think is the name of the book. But it talks about this guy who had this accident, and uh, he, uh, you know, everybody from doctors to whoever it was, specialists were telling him he's never going to walk again. But he refused to believe that, and he and through and he understood that the power of the mind, and because of his background and his education, he under kind of understood the physiology, and he's a neuro- neurologist or something like that. But he understood the power of the mind. And so he was able through meditation, prayer, whatever um, he did, changed his thinking and his mindset 
and mm-hmm. then processed it in such a way where all he would do is focus on being 100% healed, 100% better. And over time, because of the power of the mind, he was able to make a full recovery. Where, yeah. and, and the point of his book is when you go to, you know, doctors a lot of times, or when you go to get your, you know, analysis of what's going on, the first thing they say is, well, you know, you don't have, it, it's always presented in a negative light a lot of times. And they tell you, you have X amount of months to live, or you have this or that, or you're never going to do this. And that sticks with a lot of people, you know, and, and to your point, you know, uh, it's six inches between our ears affects everything in life. It's how we look at things and how our perspectives are. And that changes, you know, our, our outlooks in what we hope to accomplish and what we want to achieve. Because there's stories like yours all over the place where people just were driven through positivity and this desire to not accept no for an answer. And they were able to achieve great things like yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you, you asked the question, if you think about it, right. You said, what was the difference you said when all those thousands of ideas, why did you pursue this one? And I said, I had a mind change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what the magic of thinking big and the, the karate Correct. Yeah. understanding how karate works. It's all in the mind. And, uh, and it, that's, you can break three blocks. Stack them on top of each other. You can break them. Mm-hmm. You just somebody asked me once. They said, "Doesn't that hurt?" I said, "Only if they don't break, because <laughs> then you're slamming, like slamming your fist against <laughs> against uh, the yeah. floor. You know, when they when you break them, it's it's nothing because you're just doing it. So yeah, it's it is all about the mind and the attitude and what you're going to do. When I got cancer ten years ago, mm-hmm. they uh, it was appendix cancer, one of the rarest forms in the United States, mm-hmm. and Only 35% of people are alive after five years. There's a survival rate on it. Uh, I'm going into my 11th year and uh, since then. But I believe, too, that Mm -hmm. in my mind, I heard the word cancer, but I never, ever believed I was going to die from it. I just never believed I was going to die from it. And uh, That's great. And uh, and so that's that's part of that mind thing that that your wife's reading in that book. Yeah. And there's, and there's just so many other, you know, in in which she tries to encourage a lot of other people, you know, people call her, you know, she's have, you know, but it's not, she didn't just accept what the traditional methods are either, you know, now she did her Mm -hmm. treatments and chemo, but there's other ways and there's other resources and, and a lot, you know, she high grade vitamin C's and, and just different diets and, Mm -hmm. and different approaches to help your body recover. Our bodies are so powerful. If you think about it, I mean, in the way that we've been created and if you think about our our, uh, nervous system and, and, you know, our bone structures and how everything goes into play, its capacity to regenerate and and heal itself is phenomenal, is phenomenal. And the only thing really that keeps us from doing that is our mind because our mind creates stress and stress is so powerful and stress does a lot to, to the body, to creates illness and there's there's stress uh links to different types of cancers and things like that Mm -hmm. and anyways the bottom line is what you know what we're talking about it everything starts with those six inches between your ears and it controls so much of how we live how we feel 
And that's kind of the point of this whole podcast is, you know, and I talk about, you know, how, why it started was, you know, with the well-rounded leaders, it's really a leadership and how we live has to do really with how we lead ourselves with our wellness, with our mental wellness, our physical wellness, our spiritual wellness, our emotional wellness. And if we're not taking care of all of those aspects, you know, we're not going to be the most fully present leader that we can be for the people that we need to lead, whether it's in the business world or our families. So a lot, go ahead. No, the greatest satisfaction that I could get in my life Mm -hmm. going forward to however long I've got left here will be when I get a letter from somebody that said, I took your advice and this is where I am. And this is what I've done with my life. And I, and I, I changed it, you know, uh, um, because that's, that's my goal to share mm-hmm. to the point that it motivates somebody to pursue their dreams in, in the process of it. And, and, and that's, that's where it's all at mm-hmm. in the process. And, you know, oh, one other point I just want to make at the end, and I have a lot of my friends look at me and they kind of shake, shake their head when I tell them this. I haven't bought a newspaper in five years. I don't watch the six o'clock news. Mm-hmm. I turned off uh, news on my radio in the car. I, and they go, well, you can't stick your head in the sand. And I said, I know who I am, where I am, where I stand, whether it be politically or whatever the case may be. I don't need to listen to negativity mm-hmm. to, and you know what? Since I've done that, I've been a much happier, more at peace man in the process because I don't do it. A long time ago, I was at a motivational, before Pound Puppies, I was at a motivational, Amway motivational meeting. And the guy up there said, Gigu, G-I-G-O. He said, if you put garbage in, Mm -hmm. garbage will come out. If you deal with garbage coming in, garbage will come out. If you put good in, good comes out in the process. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend of mine recently, he came up to me and he said, did you hear uh, 600,000 children were uh, killed in in Africa? And I said, no, I didn't. But I said, what can you do about it? And he's upset. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He's upset and really, but there's nothing he can do about it in the process. So at any rate, I, I just decided to cut all of the, 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 the news out. I got to keep a clear head to do all the positive things that I'm doing. And that's just, that's just me, not everybody. That's not for everybody, but it's just me. Well, I, I did an element of that too this year. I deleted Twitter. I, yeah. t- Twitter is uh-huh. a cesspool for negativity and uh, I'm done with it. So I, I realized yeah. every time I would go on, you don't read anything uplifting. There's nothing good. Like you say, it's similar to the to the news because nev- negativity sells and that's sensationalism is where they make their 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 living. So I got rid hey, I got rid of Twitter. I feel so much better about it. And Yeah. You're right. Yeah, you don't have to there's no reason to put that into your mind on a no. daily basis. And and trust me, I know what's going on in the world. You can't avoid knowing what's going on in the world. Yeah. But I just don't sit and dwell on it all day long and have it pumped into where I get mad or upset because I used to do that. Mm. I'd hear something on the news and I'd get all mad and upset. 
and I just don't do that anymore. Good for you. Good for you. It's uh, been a blessing. It's really been a blessing in helping me achieve these things that I'm working towards. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, ho- hopefully you're right. Hopefully one of your listeners out there right there just says, you know what? I do put too much garbage in, whether it's social media, yeah. whether it's listening to the news, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be. Just start. Don't eliminate all of it. If that's, you know, that's that's a drastic step. Just take baby steps. Uh, eliminate one thing. And then after after two days, you know, after a week, eliminate something else, you know. But strive. Here's something, Mike. Not don't just eliminate it, but replace it with something that yeah. is more productive and more positive. Yes. So I do that. Yeah, yeah. So if yeah. they're listening, hey, one thing, one thing that's in your life that is garbage in, replace it with something that's garbage good, and then, hey, you're going to be better yeah. for it. And we and you know one of my favorite quotes. Is every day you get better or worse? You never stay the same, and that's a I quote by that. it was a quote by Bo Schembechler, um, you know, head coach, University of Michigan. And that's it. Every day, what are you going to do to make yourself better every day? Because if you're not making yourself yeah. better, you're making yourself worse. Nobody yeah. stays the yeah. same. So that's that's phenomenal. I wrote down every day what I needed to do. I said I have to do something every day to make pound puppies succeed. Mm-hmm. Whether it was one small thing or something else, I had it. I had to do something every day to work towards that goal. And I do that with any of the things that I have. I mm-hmm. put it up in front of me. I write it down like you've heard people do, and I uh, tape it on my desk, and, and then it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of hard work, but it happens. Yeah, yeah, and persistence is, you know, tenacity is, and persistence is huge in the, you know, I guess to your point, what you're saying is, hey, don't give up just because it doesn't happen in the timing that you think it should happen because uh, persistence, you know, is, is a huge factor in a lot of people's success and, and, and not letting sight or not letting go of the of the goal that you have in sight. So, but uh, Mike, hey, it's been great. I appreciate your time. It's gone by super fast. Uh, I'd love to do this again, maybe have a sequel after, you know, the, after, you know, we, we hear some good success stories coming, yeah. coming out about the songs and then, you know, the book deal and the movies. Yeah. I mean, we, we got, this is like a definitely, you say to be continued, this, this podcast yeah. episode is going to be to be continued because as these things start to materialize, we want to hear about uh, the stories surrounding, you know, all the thing all the irons you got in the fire. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I would love to it. I've really enjoyed this. Well, uh, good today in talking to you and stuff and uh, keep doing what you're doing because what you're doing is phenomenal too because you're sharing if it weren't for you what i talked about today would not be heard by your listeners so well i appreciate I, you I saying appreciate that. what you do uh, you do to make it the world a better place well i appreciate that mike thanks so much for saying that and uh like i said we'll we'll, uh, we'll continue this uh in another episode down the road As always, thank you for listening and for telling your friends to check out the show and for rating the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. Your continued support makes it possible for me to do what I love, which is helping people be the best and become well-rounded leaders in their world. And for that, I am grateful. And until next time, be a well-rounded leader and make an impact.